This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, for this week's show, we're going on a bit of a scientific international adventure into a lost art and science. It's something we do 25,000 times a day, but we're not really aware of it or asking if we're doing it correctly or how we can do it even better. What am I talking about? Well, breathing is exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you would think the fact it's a lost ability and a lost science to breathe properly? Well, on this week's episode, my guest James Nestor is a writer and journalist whose latest book, Breathe, The New Science of a Lost Art, deals with all of this and joins me now. James, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. All the way from San Francisco, it's great to have you on the show. Much appreciated for joining us. So we've covered breathing a couple of times before, very much through meditation and mindfulness episodes that we've done. But this is a very different interview in the fact that your book is all based on science and the science of a lost art and something that we don't do enough of. Sure. I mean, it's something that we we just take for granted, breathing, because we do it unconsciously. But when we do it consciously, when we focus on our breathing, it can have a huge effect on our mind, in our body, longevity, and so much more. And where did your interest in breathing come from? So let's let's start there. How did you get interested in it? How did you come across it? How did you want to learn about it and learn about improving it? Yeah, it was never really something I set out to do. A uh, series of events coalesced all at the same time, and I realized that there was a larger story here. When I first told my friends, I said, I'm going to write this book about breathing. They thought it was the stupidest idea ever. And then I told them some of the things I kept digging up, and they said, oh, that could be interesting. So um, I, I guess that the beginning was really uh, meeting with some freedivers. Uh, these are people who have mastered the art of breathing so well that they can hold their breath for seven, eight, nine minutes at a time, and they can dive down to depths. 300, 400 feet, just so far beyond what scientists thought possible. They told me that breathing could be used for more than just deep diving. It could be used to help heal the body, to heat the body, and to allow us to go up that next rung of human potential. That sounded interesting enough. So I set out for several years through labs, universities, other institutions to try to dig up the real science behind what I called a lost art. A couple of weeks ago, we had the, uh, as it happens, actually, we had the Irish freediving world champion on uh, Claire Walsh. She was amazing. And her, she was telling us her record is five minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, and the, I think it was about, uh, it was about 90 or 100 feet was her, her diving record. Hmm. And just listening to her and, 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 and the concept of how she was training herself to breathe like that and the benefits that she got from it was an incredible experience just to listen and, and to hear the difference that it made and how by slowing her body down, by kind of using the, the meditation component and body scans to bring her heart rate back down, it was absolutely fascinating to, uh, to, to listen to her and to get an insight into it. I think that when, when I first saw freedivers, I went to report on a freediving competition in Greece. This was several years ago. And there were small people, tall people, large people, thin people, every imaginable country had, had 
represented someone there. And they all had these huge chests, these enormous lungs. So these people weren't born this way. They were able to drastically expand their lung capacity by the power of will, by, by breathing. And we know that larger lungs, respiratory health, is a very accurate marker of lifespan. Larger your lungs are, the better they're working, the longer you're going to live. That's what the data shows you. So just right then and there, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we were told that we could not um, expand or, or affect internal organs like this. But they have obviously figured out a way of doing that. And I thought, if they could do that, what else is there out there to, to learn about the power of breathing? And for something that's so essential to life, so m many of the population actually don't do it correctly and don't even think about it as an essential tool for health, for life, for energy, for fulfillment. Yet it is exactly that. Why do you think we've forgotten about breathing and why has it become such a lost art? Because it's automatic, you know, and what a wonderful thing. We don't have to think about it. Our bodies are going to do it. But what a lot of people don't realize is when we take that conscious control of it, we can start taking control of our bodies. And this is especially effective for people who have long-standing chronic conditions that are sometimes exacerbated or even caused by poor breathing habits. And you fix the core problem, you fix the breathing, and those other problems and maladies will go away. And I thought that this was incredible. I met people who had emphysema, who had asthma, who had autoimmune issues, uh, who snored, who had sleep apnea, and all the metabolic disorders that come with that, they fixed their breathing and they, they were healed. And I know this sounds like a huge claim, but their stories are out there. It's backed up by studies. And it just seems like no one was really paying attention to this. We're paying attention to the food we're eating. We're paying attention to how much we exercise. But even if you are you know, on a keto diet, paleo, vegan, whatever, you exercise like a maniac. If you're not breathing correctly, you're never, ever going to be healthy. One of the fascinating components of life and researching things, and even having a podcast, is getting to chat to experts from all around the world. And when researching this book, I know you met lots of experts around the world. Just chat me through a few of the people that you met and some of the things you discovered from their expertise. I was working with the chief of rhinology research at Stanford, a big nose guy. And here in the U.S., we have 27 departments at the National Institutes of Health, which study things like the liver, the kidney, the stomach, but none of them are studying the nose. And this is one of the most essential organs to our health. And it's so forgotten that about 25 to 50% of the population habitually breathes through the mouth. So he was telling me that this can have such a deleterious effect on our mental health, on our physical health, lifespan, on and on and on. And so what, after a while of talking with him, many interviews, we decided to do an experiment where I really wanted to see how much mouth breathing and nasal breathing affected our bodies, affected our minds. And we did a 20-day experiment uh, with Stanford to, to really look into that. Don't stop there. You can't stop there and, and leave us on that hook. Obviously, I'm sure it's in the book, but tell us a little bit about what happened over those 20 days. <laughs> sure. So just to be clear, this was never my intention coming into this book. I thought I had a pretty good path into this world and this research. And then I had to throw out six months of work once I started finding the real story, which lurked so much further underneath. So we know that Chronic mouth breathing can lead to problems in your face. It'll change the structure of your face. 
make you more apt to get respiratory problems. Um, it makes you more apt to get periodontal disease. Um, and so all, all of this is known. No one's refuting this. We just didn't know how quickly this damage came on. Nobody had studied it. Um, so he thought it would be an interesting experiment and he kind of volunteered me to do it. So I got someone else. So it was more than just myself. And we spent 10 days with silicon up, up our noses, wow. uh, with tape, tape over our nostrils to just be breathing through our mouths. And to a lot of people, they say, oh, that sounds horrifying. Yeah, it is. But if you look at the hundreds of millions of people right now who have chronic sinusitis, who have inflamed turbinates, who can't breathe through their nose anyway, we're just lulling ourselves into what so much of the population already feels. So the difference is we were recording data. So the very first night, my snoring went up 1,300%. Within two, three days, I was snoring through half the night. I got sleep apnea, my heart rate variability, which is um, a measure of the balance of nervous system, plummeted. I felt stressed out, athletic endurance plummeted. I mean, instantly. So people think maybe this damage comes on after a year or two. No, it came on within about 12 hours. We were, we were really feeling the effects. The other subject had the exact same problems that I did, exactly the same. The good news is the last 10 days of this experiment, we breathed only through our noses. I mean, maybe not 100% of our air because we talk sometimes and we're eating food, but the vast majority at night, we use a little piece of tape to keep our mouths shut. No way. So yeah, true. <laughs> Snoring disappeared, sleep apnea disappeared, heart rate variability went up 150%, athletic endurance, improved performance improved about 10%. I mean, I could go through all the data, but it was so dramatic. And again, it's such an obvious thing, but I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to it. I certainly wasn't until I did this experiment. One of the key things I like to, to, to look for in people when they write books or they have opinions about certain things is the proof. And there's no better proof than the actual person or the author going through the process themselves, testing themselves with the best science and say, well, okay, I've actually tested it. Here it is. Here's the results. And look at the impact that this can make, which is fantastic to hear. And one of the things you mentioned a couple of times there was athletic performance. Talk me through that and, and the difference. Lots of our listeners, obviously, they run, they walk, they cycle, they're in gyms, they train, and they're all looking for ways to improve their ability in the gym and their ability to run and cycle and all of those lovely things. And breathing could be one of the tools to unlock that ability. Most of us, when we work out, are breathing too much, and we tend to start breathing through our mouths when we start entering very intense stages of the workout. And when you're breathing too much, you are actually inhibiting blood flow to your body. So right now, if we're sitting here and you take 10 big breaths in, maybe you're going to feel some numbness or coldness in your fingers, in your toes, you're going to get lightheaded. That isn't from an increase of oxygen. That is from a decrease of circulation to those areas. This is so counterintuitive. It took me months to get my head around it. I said, this doesn't make any sense. More oxygen in my body and my lungs means more oxygen to my tissues. The opposite is true. So if you're working out and you're breathing over your metabolic needs, you are unnecessarily stressing your heart. So breathing is directly tied to your heart rate. <sighs> I can breathe like that. My heart rate's going to go up. So, and this has been studied for, for decades. Dr. John Duyard, uh, Phil Maffetone have found this in, in numerous experiments that when they had people breathe through their nose, 
which has a natural resistance. It slows down your breathing and it actually allows you to get more oxygen. They were able to perform at a much higher level using the same amount of energy that they would otherwise through mouth breathing. Duyard found like increases of 20% with some of the cyclists, which is insane. Their, their heart rate was, you know, they were breathing at a rate of about 47 breaths per minute during this one intense exercise, nasal breathing, 14 breaths a minute. So if you can exert the same amount of power and force using less energy, doing this more efficiently, you're going to be able to push it even harder for longer and you're going to be able to recover quicker. And this isn't some, some sketchy hypothesis. This has been documented over, over decades and, uh, and all those studies are, are freely available for people to check out. And of course, all the time people look for expensive ways to prove their performance. I, I'm, a, I'm a runner, I'm a cyclist, I'm a mountain biker. I look for the super light bike, uh, this carbon fiber and all of these lovely things. And they cost huge amounts of money. And of course, this is free. It's, it's a very simple swap. You've got to train yourself to be able to do it, but it's, it's a free swap to be able to make. Yeah. And maybe, you know, that's why it's not very good for the world economy that, that people are, are adopting these <laughs> healthy breathing habits that can really impact their performance, maybe more than a, a brand new $7,000 bike. But, but people, breathing therapists are now getting really into this. They're, they're showing that you can vastly increase VO2 max. You can, um, when you're breathing in line with your metabolic needs and you start breathing a little lower than your metabolic needs called hypoventilation training, it's equivalent to so many of the benefits of altitude training. So you're able to, to gain blood. You're able to work more efficiently at sea level. And, and Patrick McEwen uh, in, in Ireland um, has an organization called Oxygen Advantage that just deals with, with elite athletes, people who are focused on sports and breathing. And I mean, the, the difference, even after a few weeks of these people adopting healthy, proper breathing habits is tremendous. Folks, you're listening to The Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We've covered some fascinating aspects of breathing so far. Um, James, tell me about Carl Stoff. I'm possibly not pronouncing that name correctly, but uh, someone who came up uh, in the book, really interesting. And tell us a little bit more about him. So I had the pleasure of researching all of these breathing scientists, breathing therapists, clinicians, and Carl Stow. I used to pronounce it that way for months until one of his uh, the people that, that he taught how to do this corrected me a few times, so, so it happens. <laughs> so he was a vocal teacher in the 50s, and he noticed that his singers weren't engaging their diaphragms uh, very well. So the diaphragm is the muscle that sits underneath the lungs. The lungs don't inflate by themselves. They need something pushing against them to exhale and, and opening up to allow them to open, open with air. When I'm breathing like that, my diaphragm is going down. So just by training them to have more diaphragmatic movement, he was able to vastly increase the resonance of their voice. And he went on to then start training Met Opera singers who were supposed to be the greatest singers in the world. They're, they were singing even better after him. Where it got really interesting is a bunch of pulmonologists and doctors had heard about his work and they had these hundreds and hundreds of emphysemics at the VA hospitals on the East Coast. They had no idea what to do with these people. Uh, they put oxygen tank, you know, up, up uh, a line up to their nose, gave them antibiotics so they wouldn't get infections and just kind of left them there to die. So he went in and noticed that they had essentially lost all diaphragmatic movement. So 
they were breathing. There's, there's films of this and it's incredible. So every time they breathe, they were struggling and, and you see like their, their necks tightening and in all these ligaments. And, and uh, so he trained them. The only therapy he used was breathing. He trained them to lower their diaphragms a little more and to lift it up a little more and create more movement. And these people who had been essentially left for dead were able to walk out of the hospital and hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, the doctors at these hospitals said, what you're doing is impossible. You, you cannot affect diaphragmatic movement. You can't develop an internal muscle. And so they took x-rays and he said, look at this. And then they, they took x-ray films and they said, look at, look at this patient. And they finally agreed that what he was doing supposed to have been medically impossible, which is why they never trained anyone to do this. But obviously it was working. And his story gets even more interesting because then he was called to train the 1968 track team, the U.S. track team, to train for the Mexico City Olympics. He taught them how to breathe better. They started winning records. They went down and destroyed everybody at the U.S. Olympics. Uh, it's the greatest track performance, I believe, still today in history. And they were the only team not to use oxygen before and after the race because they didn't need to because they knew how to breathe properly. And his story, I found, had been completely forgotten. No one refuted what he did. No one refuted the data or science. They just forgot about them and moved on. So that's that lost art of breathing I mentioned in the book. Are there some really simple tips that we can give to our listeners um, to improve their breathing over the course of, say, 7, 14, 21 days, to even to, to start with? What are, what are some really simple basics we can recommend to them to do? Sure. So the first thing starts with awareness. If you're not aware of your breathing, become aware of it. And that's really the key. Because you're going to notice how dysfunctional your breathing is throughout the day. Most people will. I certainly noticed it instantly. When I sat down every morning, uh, 50 emails, Twitter's coming in, someone's calling me, your breathing goes to hell. You start breathing this very dysfunctional pattern. This has been widely studied, by the way. And it can have really uh, big impacts on, on neurological aspects, on physical aspects. It's similar in some ways to sleep apnea, which is so injurious to the body. So. Become aware. The next thing, breathe through your nose all the time. And I don't care if you have a stuffed nose. Oh, I can't do it. You have to find a way of breathing through your nose. That includes during workouts. That includes during zone three, zone four, very intense workouts. You never want to work out harder than you can breathe correctly. And I think that that is a great motto. So if you can't quite reach that level that you were doing with mouth breathing, slow it down and softly work up to it. And I promise you, the, the benefits to performance and recovery, they're well-documented and they're vast. Uh, to be clear, some people have such problems with their nose that they need surgical interventions. I'm not here to diagnose. I will say the vast majority of us, people like me, broken my nose about three times. It's completely messed up. Just using this organ more will help open it up and allow your body to acclimate to it. So awareness, nasal breathing, and then slower breathing is the final one. What I mean by that is at least for a few minutes out of the day, try to breathe in to a count of about six seconds and breathe out to that same count. And just by doing this, don't push it. Don't try to be like, I'm really going to go for it. Just do it in a very relaxed way. Simply doing that will lower your blood pressure. 
will increase oxygenation to your brain. You're going to feel more circulation in your fingers and your cardiorespiratory system will enter the state of coherence where everything is working at peak efficiency. This again has been widely studied for decades and all the references are in the book and up on my website for free. And of course, one of the things I, I, I learned many, many years ago from the guy who trained me originally nearly 20 years ago, which makes me feel kind of old at this stage, but however, uh, is in terms of nasal breathing is that uh, it moistens the air that we breathe in. Your body can use it more efficiently because it's it, the, the hair in your nose moistens the air. Is that true? Not only does it moisten it, it heats it up, conditions it and pressurizes it. And all these things are essential so that air, by the time it gets to your lungs, it is fully prepared for the most efficient gas exchange. So when you're breathing through your mouth, no pressure, minimal moisture, minimal heat. And so you can almost think of the lungs like an external organ, because if you're breathing through the mouth, they are exposed to all the pathogens, pollutants, whatever is in the air around you. If you live in a city, that's a lot of stuff. So this is our first line of defense is the nose and the nose also creates a perfusion of nitric oxide in fitness circles people know about nitric oxide six-fold increase breathing through the nose if you hum a 15-fold increase so this can have an amazing effect on your body on your breathing endurance and i should mention that nitric oxide is the wonder molecule that is stimulated by viagra uh, sildenafil. Um, what it does is it helps your body release more nitric oxide to do you know what. We have our own Viagra producer right here. It's our nose. Okay. So if you want to have more sex and better sex, breathe through your nose more during the day. It's one of the big benefits of it by the sounds of things. I can't guarantee that. I don't want angry emails, but, uh, it can't hurt you, and it has so many other benefits beyond that. Well, uh, as they say, sex sells. So uh, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a good line. Um, one of the just some listening to you there, you know, in terms of anything, anyone we've talked about who's done kind of four second breathing, where it's four seconds in and four out, or six in and six out, or whatever. Or even with Claire Walsh, in terms of as a as a as a free diver, one of the key components that comes with the, the breathing and the nasal breathing is a sense of ease and a sense of relaxation which kind of goes hand in hand and kind of has all the ben- that has lots of benefits and similar benefits in terms of heart rate reduction, stress reduction, endorphin production, just from the whole meditation and just mindfulness and being aware of yourself and being aware of your breath. And it slows, it slows what is a very fast paced life down. Yeah. You, you know, so much we, we tackle with this very competitive spirit in the West, which is great. Not, nothing wrong with that, but we shouldn't approach breathing in the same way. You know, uh, breathing needs to be done slowly and carefully. The last thing you want to do is to make it a competition, which is the problem I have with uh, with competitive freedivers. Uh, freediving is one of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life. And it is an underwater meditation where you are completely locked into your environment and your own body. Why challenge your friend to see how deep you can dive and come back to the surface conscious? So that's just a... That's just a side note to me about freediving. I've written about it and done it extensively. But I think she's 100% right about relating to breathing and understanding breathing and appreciating it as as, uh, one of the main levers in our body to calm us down and to really take control of stress. If you think about most of us, especially today, we're in the state of constant, chronic, low-grade stress. At night, we have trouble sleeping during the day. We have trouble staying awake. 
And we know that state of low-grade stress causes inflammation, and that inflammation is implicated in the vast majority of chronic diseases. These, are dis these modern diseases are diseases of inflammation, and you can instantly affect inflammation in your body by slowing down your breathing. You can do box breathing. That, that's what I found in the book. All these different cultures, all these different therapists came up with all these different things, called them all these different names, but they're all doing the same stuff. So whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to do, it's essentially doing the same thing. And what I love about breathing too is it's so easy to measure. People might think, oh, it's a placebo effect, psychosomatic. All you need is a heart rate variability monitor. All you need is a pulse oximeter. All you need is a blood pressure cup. Most people have these things in their house. And try breathing in a certain way for a few minutes and you will see a massive transformation in your body. That's after a few minutes. Just imagine what's going to happen after a few days, a few weeks, a few months. Well, we know, we've seen it. People are able to heal themselves. Through and above all, you've tested it over that 20-day experiment with Stanford. Like, it, it doesn't come a whole lot more as rubber stamped than Stanford University, uh, you know, assessing the numbers and assessing the progress. James, it's been fascinating to talk to you. You're one of our International Expert Series podcasts. It's been fantastic to have you here. Tell us, remind us again the name of the book, and it's available in bookshops nationwide, I presume? Yes, it just came out a couple of days ago in the UK. Uh, the book is Breath, The New Science of a Lost Start. And you can see all these scientific references, breathing videos with professionals, FAQ, and all that for free on my site, mrjamesnestor.com. And if people want to find you on Instagram or on Twitter, on, on those platforms? I'm trying to get better at the social media thing. <laughs> I'm a dinosaur, but uh, people have really been haranguing me about that. So yes, I do. That's a long way of saying I am on Instagram at Mr. James Nestor. Twitter, I'm really bad at Mr. James Nestor. And good old Facebook, which seems like no one's really using nowadays, but same, same handle, Mr. James Nestor. Fantastic. Well, listen, the very best of luck with the book. Uh, it's been fascinating getting to chat to you. It really has. And stay safe over in San Francisco. Mind yourselves over there. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Helka. This is one of our international expert series, something you're going to see more of over the coming weeks and months here on Real Health. There's lots of people across the globe who are experts in their field, and we plan on having as many of them as possible on the podcast to get as much information to improve your health as we possibly can. As ever, don't forget to rate and review. You know where we are. It's realhealth at independent.ie, at Carl Henry PT on Twitter and on Instagram. As ever, we will see you next week for more Real Health Podcasts. Have a fantastic week and breathe through your nose between now and then, and we'll see you soon. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.